So Nehemiah, chapter number two. Nehemiah is a Jew who's living in Persia. He is probably born in the captivity, uh, and, and he's there. He's living under a really godless rule. And yet, what we see in the life of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is faithful to God. That God's highest calling for us as believers is that we would be faithful to him no matter how difficult the context, no matter how difficult the situation. And we see this with Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah wasn't the only one. Nehemiah's had other examples that he could look to. People like Daniel, uh, people like, like Mordecai and, and Esther, who was, Esther, who was elevated to being queen. And we see that Nehemiah has these examples and probably countless others, countless others that are unnamed and unmentioned in the scripture or in history. But yet, Nehemiah was faithful to God. God elevates this Jew who's living under Persian rule, elevates him to one of the highest positions there in the land. Nehemiah is the, the cupbearer for the king. And this was far more than just he got to taste test the wine so the king wouldn't get poisoned. Like this was a position of status. This was a position of you had to be politically savvy. You had to be very trusted. The king's life really was in the hands of, of this person. And so Nehemiah, under just God's providence, was elevated to this position as the king's cupbearer. And again, very similar, if you study the life of, of Esther, very similar in the sense that, that Nehemiah is going to recognize that God has put him in this position to leverage this position to use this status for ultimately the glory of God and for the work of God. This is what Nehemiah is going to do. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer for uh, King Artaxerxes. In, in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and, it, and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before sad, in his presence. So this time, this month of Nisan, this is probably March or April. It's a springtime. It is a time when the Persian kings just celebrated and a lot of partying, a lot of drinking, a lot of, of, of probably really ungodly festivities. And, uh, but, but, but King Artaxerxes is, is at this time of celebration and, and, and nobody goes before the king with a, set, a sad countenance. Like, you just don't do that. Historically, we know that, like, people that approached the king with, with um, any, any sign of disrespect, they could be, and some were executed. And so Nehemiah recognizes this. He knows this. See, Nehemiah had just gotten the news four months ago that the state of God's city, Jerusalem, was in shambles. The, 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 back in Jerusalem, things were not well. He gets this report that things aren't good, and it just hits him. I mean, this burden just overwhelms him. So much so that Nehemiah sits down and he just weeps about it. He's broken about it. And, and he prays and he takes four months. He takes four months to pray on this. Because we, last week we studied this amazing prayer of Nehemiah in verses 4 to 11. And now chapter 2 says, in the month Nisan, 
This is four months later. Nehemiah is agonizing in prayer. Nehemiah is just lamenting and just grieving over the state of Jerusalem. And we talked about it's so easy for us to just become callous. The, the, the more, I guess, evil and suffering you see in the world, the more pain, the more problem. It's, it's easy to just get to the point where we just get used to it, where things just don't phase us. Things just don't bother us. But yet, when we look at our culture, our society, when we see people suffering and hurting and we see the effects that, that sin brings and the devastation that sin brings in our own life, in the lives of others that we love, we can't become callous and numb to that. Nehemiah is broken about this news. And so now Nehemiah is going to take action. He's going to pray on it. He's going to pray on it for four months, but now he's going to go before the king. As the cupbearer of the king, he, he is, is really responsible to try to protect the king. Artaxerxes is, is no angel. Like this, this guy is bloodthirsty. This guy has, has killed people in order to, to get to the throne. So he has a lot of enemies, understandably so. This guy knows that, that, that he has got people that want him out of the picture. And so that's partly what a cupbearer would do. Would be not just a king's advisor, but really Nehemiah would, would, would take the fall for him if someone tried to poison the king. But Nehemiah is going to now leverage this position before the king. He's going to use it for the glory of God. And here's something we must understand in application today. The place God has put you, God has put you there for his purpose and for his plan. And you have to see that. N next week, we're going to look at perhaps one of the most boring chapters in all of scripture. It's just a list of a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. But you know what we're going to see in that is that God is at work in what we think is just the mundane, the everyday actions, the everyday life. That it is actually sacred because if you understand and see that what God has called you to do, where God has placed you, that it is for his glory and his purpose, it's going to affect how we do life. It's going to affect the everyday relationships at work. It should affect the fact that we want to be the best that we can be at what God has called us to do and use it for the glory of God. And what we're going to see is Nehemiah gets this and understands this. Nehemiah has gained the respect of this king. Nehemiah is very good at what he does. And he realizes that and recognizes that. The king recognizes that. And he's going to leverage that position for the glory of God. You know, where God has placed you at the job you have is to leverage that position for the glory of God. The, 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 how God blesses you in a financial way or maybe just in a way of certain connections that he's given to you. Recognize it's not you, it's God. And leverage it for the kingdom of God. Leverage it for the glory of God. This is exactly what Nehemiah is going to do. He understands God has put him in this position for a reason. So he's going to approach the king. Verse 2 it says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? There is nothing else but sorrow of heart. So the king recognizes right away something's off. 
something's not right. He, he's discerning enough to know <clears throat> that Nehemiah's not sick, but he's just brokenhearted. And this next phrase, Nehemiah says, I was sore afraid. In other words, he says, I was terrified. So what we see here is this, and I talked about this with our, our, our men yesterday at Crosspoint. We gathered for just a time of, of, of teaching and fellowship and prayer. We talked about, about having courage. We talked about having, being brave, being bold. And, and being bold at having courage to do the right thing doesn't mean that you never are afraid. It doesn't mean that you walk into every situation just super arrogant and confident, not worried about anything. No, sometimes courage is being absolutely terrified, but still doing the right thing. Still doing what you know God wants you to do. This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah knows he's in this position for a reason. He knows that he's supposed to use this position to leverage for the work of God and glory of God. But yet, Nehemiah is terrified. And you know what? When God calls us to do something, many times it's terrifying. Have you ever been there? You feel like, man, God is leading me to do this. But you're scared to death to do it. But courage is stepping forward with the help of God and power of God. We see what fueled this courage was Nehemiah's four months of agonizing in prayer with God. And Nehemiah now is going to courageously stand before the king. And, and, and to do the work God's called us to do today, it's going to require courage. I mean, guys, look around. You know, to, to be a, a Bible-believing Christian right now in, in 2023 is definitely not because you're choosing the path of least resistance. It's definitely not because you want to, you know, you want to win some popularity contest. No, to, to be a Bible-believing Christian who loves God and loves others is going to, and who is going to be faithful like Nehemiah, it might mean resistance. It might mean that you are going to face some suffering or there's going to be some setbacks. But Nehemiah approaches the king and we see now that Nehemiah in verse 3 Nehemiah is going to be very discerning and wise with his words. He's, and he said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates are consumed with fire? So Nehemiah is going to be very wise, very discerning in this interaction. He's going to show respect to the king. Now in his prayer to God, he recognizes that, 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 that Artaxerxes is nothing more than a man. King Artaxerxes was looked at as a god. He had so much power, so much control over this Persian empire. And people literally looked to him as a god. Nehemiah recognizes that he is not God. There is one God. And that, that the, the king's heart is in the hand of God. But yet when Nehemiah approaches him, he's going to be wise and discerning. He's going to show respect to the king. And also, also he's going to speak in a way that is relatable to Artaxerxes. He doesn't say, oh, the holy city of God in Jerusalem. Artaxerxes could care less about Jerusalem and about him thinking it was God's city and the holy city. But Nehemiah speaks in a way that's relatable to the king. He says, the place of my father's sepulchers, or the place of my 
my father's graves. See, th this is wise because Artaxerxes can relate to this. He's connecting with Artaxerxes in an emotional way because for the, for, for the Persians, this was this family legacy, family connection was a really big deal to them. So Nehemiah is just being shrewd. He's just being wise. He's just being relatable here in his conversation with the king. And for us as Christians, we're never going to compromise. We're never called to compromise. We're never called in our interactions with unbelievers to buy into the, 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 the neutrality myth of thinking that we're all just on the same ground. And it, that, that's a lie. No, people that don't know Christ are rebels and sinners against the holy and a righteous God. And they are actively suppressing the truth of God in them that God has revealed to them. But that doesn't mean we can't be wise and shrewd in our interactions. It doesn't mean without compromising that we can't find common ground in our discussion and conversation with people. This is exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's speaking wisely. He's speaking in a way that's relatable to Artaxerxes. He's saying, not the holy city of Jerusalem. He's saying, the, the place where my fathers are buried. He said, I've gotten word that it's broken down. It's consumed with fire. He said, this is why my heart is sad. This is why I'm broken. And the, then the king said to me, for what do you make, what, what does thou make requests? In other words, the king's like, Nehemiah, what are you getting at? What are you asking of me? What are you asking of me? And I love this phrase here. So I prayed to the God of heaven. But Nehemiah, again, we know he's terrified. He's moving forward. He's having courage in the face of fear. Nehemiah has spent four months agonizing in prayer. Four months fasting and praying. Well, now he's going to pray again. Like, you ever been there where it's like, man, you've prayed about something and, and, and it's maybe a conversation you have to have with someone. Maybe you have to con confront a family member about something that you don't really want to. Or maybe you're uh, asking your boss for something. Maybe you're, uh, you're talking to someone and making an appeal about something and, and, and you've prayed on it. Maybe you're witnessing to someone, sharing the gospel, and you've prayed and prayed on it. And then the time comes to do it. And all of a sudden that fear comes back in and you pray another on the spot quick prayer. Well, that's what Nehemiah is doing. Right, and sometimes with prayer, it's agonizing for long periods of time. And other times it's like, okay, God, it's happening now. Help me. I need you. A desperate prayer. This is what Nehemiah is doing here to the king. So now verse 5, Nehemiah, he's going to shoot his shot. Man, he's going for it. He's going to ask and he's going to ask boldly. But first, man, he's, he's going to lay it on thick here to the king. He said, uh, if it please the king, if thy servant has found favor in thy sight. So he's like, king, if I've found favor in your sight, if I've gained your respect, now he knew that he had. Because Nehemiah was a good employee for the king. Nehemiah, we know that he had character. We know that he was good at what he did. Once again, we must understand Whatever job we have, whatever what profession that we are in, we are called to do that for the glory of God. So do the best you can do with the help and strength of God. 
be the best that you can be because ultimately God is your boss. God is the one that has put you in that position. And you never know. You never know how that testimony is going to be used for someone. Maybe someone that's even in a position of authority over you. So Nehemiah says, look, if I found favor in your sight, in other words, if I've served you well, king, here it is. He's shooting his shot. He's going bold. He says, send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Man, he's going for it. He's like, king, send me there. Send me there. Now, we know here, Nehemiah is willing to, to sacrifice. We talked about that about a little bit about that last week. Like, he's asking, send me there. I mean, he's got it made in the palace. He's living pretty good. And he's saying, send me to a city where it's just been destroyed, demolished. It's dangerous. We know that because he's going to need protection from the king. Like, going to, Ju to Judah, nobody was trying to buy up real estate in Judah right now. Right? Th this wasn't the place that everybody was going to want to be transferred to. He had, didn't have this beautiful, elegant office awaiting him in Jerusalem. The only thing he had was a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen. But yet, Nehemiah is willing to sacrifice. To send me to Judah. Send me there. That I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. Here's an interesting uh, point maybe or, or possibility. Some think this could be a reference to Queen Esther. Now, it's possible. We don't know. It's some speculation, but it's a possibility that this could be. Once again, we feel or think that it was perhaps of Esther's influence that would have gotten Nehemiah to this high up position before the king. He says, how long shall thy journey be and when will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king... Now he's going to get bold in his request. So he's already, already asked the king, send me. King, I know when you know I've done a good job for you. I've been a good employee. Oh, but I'm asking for a transfer. I want to leave. And not only that, I need you to fund this entire endeavor. I need you to fund it and I need your, your soldiers to protect me. He's like, I, I want a guard to go with me. I know it's going to be rough. I know it's going to be tough. And while we're at it, give me your Home Depot credit card because it's going to cost a lot to fund this. And Nehemiah is going to be honest what he's doing with it. He's like, we're rebuilding the wall. We're going to rebuild the city. Nehemiah even threw in there, I need a house to live in too. Would you go ahead and build me a house while you're at it? So he's upfront about it, right? He's not trying to be, uh, he's not trying to manipulate anything. And oh, on the side, let's go ahead and put a house for myself and just build that all in the car. No, he's being upfront with the king, but... He's telling him what his needs are. And what we see here is this is evidence of God turning the heart of Artaxerxes. So keep in mind, the king already made a ruling on this years back and stopped the construction of the wall under Ezra. So essentially what Nehemiah is asking Artaxerxes to do is give me time off. Yeah, a certain time. You know, maybe a year is, is what he requested and ended up being way longer than a year. In fact, Nehemiah is going to be appointed governor later over Jerusalem. But he's like, I need time off. 
a long time off, and I want it paid, and I need you to fund this entire trip, and I'm going to need protection because it's going to get a little bit dangerous as we travel there and while we're there. I need all of that. And oh, I already know you had a ruling on this before. You set precedent. You set policy. And I'm asking you to change your mind on that. No one does this. No one does this. Especially in this time when there was a, a king that ruled. That ruled <clears throat> with fear. That ruled with absolute power. But yet, you know what we see? That if God is in something, it does not matter what the opposition is that's going to come against you. It does not matter how impossible it seems. It doesn't matter uh, how, how, how just laughably ludicrous something might seem. Nehemiah knows that this is God's burning his heart with this. And what we see here is God softens the heart of King Artaxerxes. And the same God that changed Artaxerxes' heart is the same God that's changing hearts today. Maybe the person you think, man, nah, not nah, they're, they're never going to come to Christ. That person, you know, I've, I've invested in them and loved them and prayed for them. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone super close to you. Your heart's broken over them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Keep looking for ways to, to speak truth to them. Don't burn that bridge with them. Because God changes the hearts of people. God still changes the hearts of people. And this is an example of God at work. He changes the heart of Artaxerxes. And he said, moreover, unter, moreover I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may con convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make the beams for the gates of the place, and to the house, and to the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. And Nehemiah recognizes this. These things that have to happen. These things that are happening. It is because of the hand of God that is guiding us. It is the hand of God upon us. He's giving credit where credit is due. Yes, Nehemiah uses wisdom. He uses shrewdness. But he knows that ultimately, unless the hand of God is on him, unless God is in this, it's not going to happen. And so we see this great balance of prayer and depending on God, but yet also us being prepared. See, Nehemiah, when he's asked questions of the king, he has precise answers. Like, he's done his preparation. See, sometimes it's like we can be like one or the other. It's like really prayerful and worshipful. And you know what? God's going to provide everything. But then on our end, we do no, no planning. Like we have absolutely, we don't use any wisdom. And we just think, well, God will do it. Well, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think that we understand 
that it is God and God alone who changes hearts of people. God and God alone that works miracles in our lives. But we also need to be wise. We also need to be discerning. We also need to have a plan, right? That's why, that's why with your family, that's why as a church, we have something called budgets, right? Because that's the planning. That's being wise. That doesn't mean that we're not trusting God. It doesn't mean that we're not having faith. No, we have faith, but there's also wisdom. There's also planning. There's also preparing. And we need both. We need both. Because sometimes we can blame foolish things on, well, we had faith and God didn't come through. Well, did we really have faith or did we make foolish decisions? And then on the other hand, there's times and in, in, in sometimes in churches where it just feels like every time they gather, it's one big, boring business meeting. I mean, there's no moving of God. There's no, there's, people aren't being saved and there's not baptisms and there's, there's no fun. It's like, you know, the, uh, it's like what my friend called the Dave Ramsey plan. Like, and, and by the way, Ramsey's got some really good wisdom and advice, but have you heard of this? The Dave Ramsey plan, anything fun or exciting, you can't do it, right? It's just no fun. Well, I think we need both. There's, there's faith, there's trust. Sometimes it looks like, like ridiculous foolishness because of how much faith we have. But that doesn't mean we're foolish and we don't plan and we don't prepare. Well, Nehemiah is doing both. Nehemiah has tremendous faith. He's begging God. He's recognizing this is the good hand of God upon me. But Nehemiah's got a plan. He knows the answers to when the king asks him specific things. So <clears throat> Nehemiah shoots this shot and the king grants him this, and Nehemiah recognizes this is because of the good hand of my God upon me. But there's going to be opposition. Whenever God is at work, Satan is also at work. And we see here, verse number nine, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Samballat the, the Hornonite and Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. That there were actually people that it angered them. That someone wanted to do something to help people who were in distress. I mean, this is clearly the work of Satan in the lives and hearts of people. How could you be opposed to someone coming, trying to help people who need help, who are in distress? But Samballat and Tobiah, they did not, they were not pleased with Nehemiah's efforts here. In fact, they're going to try to stop him over and over and over again. Because when you do something for God, when you follow the work of God, when you follow the leading of God, the calling of God in your life, you're always going to be tested. You're always going to face opposition. And the primary tool that these guys are going to use is mockery. Mockery. We're going to talk more about them, especially in chapter 4. But we see already there's opposition. And Nehemiah is not surprised by this. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me. Neither I told any man... What God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast save the beast that I rode upon. 
And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not where I went or what I did, and neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So now what we see is this. Nehemiah is there, and Nehemiah is going to assess this situation. He's going to go out, and he's not going to just, like we see once again, just the discernment here. He's not just right off the bat broadcasting to everybody what he's going to do. He's assessing the situation. He goes out, not saying a whole lot just, just yet. <clears throat> like he knows God's call and plan, but he's being flexible with how that's going to be carried out. And it's interesting, he goes out and he goes out at night. Maybe he just didn't want a whole lot of people around him. Maybe he just wanted some peace and quiet to pray and to process. Maybe he just felt like at night can get really a true assessment of the city. You want to get a true assessment of a neighborhood? Don't go there during the day. Right? You go back at night. Like we know that. You're looking at a neighborhood where maybe you're looking to buy a house in and, oh man, this is the, there's flowers planted and, and, and there's, there's children playing and people walking. Do yourself a favor before making that, per, before putting in that, that, uh, that, that purchase price, go see it at night. Drive by at night. Walk by at night. You get a better feel for something, a better assessment. You know, and that, that's one thing our family Love to do when we first moved to Davenport is we go for, we call it midnight drives. It wasn't really midnight, but it was dark. It was night. We drive around the city. You get a better feel for something, a better assessment of it. And you guys ever go to Walmart late at night? I try to, thinking I'm not going to run into a bunch of people I know and it take me like two hours for a Walmart trip. But I run into a lot of you guys. You're there. You have the same plan I do. You kind of get a feel for a city, a place at night. And Nehemiah's just processing this now. He's just getting a feel for what truly are the conditions. He's been told what's happening and now he's there. Not saying a whole lot right away. And what we're going to find is this, that Nehemiah is firm on the call of God. But he's flexible with the plans of how that's going to be carried out. And man, what a, what a principle. We're going to see that over and over in Nehemiah. Because when God calls you and I to do something, and God puts that on our heart, a lot of times we have to be flexible and tweak the plans of how that looks. And a lot of times we can get discouraged when things don't go according to our plan. And what it can cause us to do is sometimes panic and sometimes doubt. Man, was this really what God called me to do? Was this really what you, what you wanted, God? And it's not that the call wasn't there. It's just our plans of how we thought it was going to go about wasn't exactly how God intended for us to go about it. Sometimes it's our faith being tested. Sometimes it's just God. All the time it's God in his sovereignty knowing 
that, you know what, our plan isn't going to be the best plan. And I think as a church, especially this phase of where we're at, like, it's an exciting time. You know, we feel like, man, this is definitely, God is, is, is doing some great things here in our church and in our city. But you know what? It doesn't mean that every time with plans, and we're finding that out very clearly, like with this, with this building we're trying to renovate and get ready. It's like, oh yeah, here's a definite plan. And then there's twists and bumps and turns and, 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 and that's okay though. That's okay. That's just, I think, part of the process of trusting God. Of, yes, trying to be as wise, as prepared as we can possibly be. But no, many times things don't go exactly according to our plan. I'll leave you in suspense. I'll have an update for you in a couple of weeks, I promise. All right? And God's going to provide and do this. But trying to be discerning and have, be able to have facts and things that I can give to you after some meetings coming up. But Nehemiah's flexible. He's trying to be discerning here with his, with his plans and, 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 and trusting God. And we see that now Nehemiah, after surveying this, after seeing this, verse 17 and 18, he says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us Build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them, once again, he's going to inspire this confidence in people and, and motivate people by them recognizing this is not just Nehemiah's plan. This is the good hand of God that is guiding them. I told them of the good hand of my God, <clears throat> the hand of my God, which was good upon me as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah assesses the situation and he's talking now to some of the key leaders here and he's showing them clearly, this is a team effort. Guys, this isn't just me doing it. And he's also not saying, hey, look at this city that's broken down your city. He's not saying this is your problem. He's saying this is an our problem. He, he's taking ownership and leadership of this. He's a servant leader. What we're going to see is Nehemiah is going to get involved. Nehemiah is not kicking his feet up, barking orders. No, he's involved in the work. Nehemiah is saying, listen, look at the distress we are in. And he says, let's build this so we're no longer a reproach. So people, the enemies of God are no longer mocking us and looking at us and, 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 and scoffing at us. He's saying, let us arise up and build. God is with us. God's hand is upon us. And we see that they caught this vision because they said, let us rise up and build. In other words, let's get to work. Let's get to work. We're going to, as a team effort, get to work on what God has called us to do and what God has strengthened us to do. And here's another but. But when Sambalat, the Hornonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, the Gisham, and, um, and, and Gisham, Ara the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. And now they're going to falsely accuse him. They're going to slander him. They're saying, oh, you're rebelling against the king. The thing that you're doing, you're rebelling against the king. 
You see, many times that the work of God is attacked by mockery, it's attacked by slander. There's going to be physical attacks as well. That's why they're going to have to be prepared for this. But they attack them. They attack the good work that God's called them to do. And then answered I to them. Nehemiah is going to just confront them now. He's not going to beat around the bush with this. He's going to confront them. He says, he said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. And we as servants, we will arise and build. He says, you have no portion or right or memorial in Jerusalem. These foreigners here, these men that had not Jerusalem's best interest at heart, but their own. They were given this position of authority over certain parts of this region, but they were clearly in it for themselves, not for others, not for God. And it's evident because they're angry when someone comes who actually wants to help people. They get angry about it. We see their true motive is revealed and it will be revealed. More about these guys as we get further on in Nehemiah. But what we see here in chapter 2 is that, that God miraculously puts the pieces together for the work he's called Nehemiah to do. That God was at work. God was at work in softening the heart of King Artaxerxes. God was at work in what he was going to do to provide for Nehemiah on this trip. God was at work in, in how that, that those in Jerusalem that were going to rally behind Nehemiah. Now there's going to be setbacks and there's going to be opposition. There's going to be even, even Jews that are, that, that are going to second guess this and question this. And we're going to read and study all about this in Nehemiah. But what we see is that Nehemiah is recognizing something here. This is God's call. The good hand of God is upon me. That's a phrase we're going to see over and over again. The good hand of God that was upon us. That if God is at work in something, it does not matter who is against it. When God is for you, it's like what Romans tells us. If God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is it doesn't matter. If God's for you, no one is going to be able to stop God's plan. No one is going to be able to hinder the work of God in your life and in my life. <clears throat> Several things in application, but I'd like to just ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and <clears throat> want to just give you a moment to pray, to meditate upon some of this. Really a lot of truths here in chapter 2. The first thing I just, as we're having just a time of prayer and meditation before we conclude today.